Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. And so grateful for the gifts and talents that God has graced our church family. I look at this team here exercising the spiritual gift of helps, helping us worship through song our glorious Savior. To God be the glory. Today is part four in our series, The Bible Says. In part one, we looked at what the Bible says sin is. In part two, we looked at what the Bible says deception is. In part three, we looked at what the Bible says freedom is. Today, we will look at what the Bible says holiness is. Our main scripture text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Please follow along as I read. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former loss, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your wonderful presence. We thank you for providing a way for us to come before your throne room of grace and express our worship through song, through prayer, through the reading of Scripture, the preaching and teaching of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent our helper, the one who walks alongside of us, who fills us, who comes upon us and empowers us, who leads and guides us in your truth. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak through your servant today that you would open our hearts and minds to your truth, that you would be glorified, that this body of believers would be strengthened, would be built up and and edified in their faith that lost people would be drawn to your redeeming love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 13 begins with the preposition, therefore. And so we see this as some sort of division between what God has done for us and how we should respond to what he has done. Let's briefly look at some of the blessings in the earlier part of chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, we are chosen by God through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is cleansing from sin provided for us through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. There were three circumstances in the Old Testament where blood was sprinkled on people. At the establishment of the Old Covenant, we read this in Exodus chapter 24, verses 5 through 8. At the priestly ordination of Aaron and his sons, we see this in Exodus chapter 29, verse 21, and the purification ceremony for a cleansed leper. And we see this in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 6 and seven. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus on us accomplishes the same things. First, a a covenant relationship is formed. There are ordained 
we are ordained as, as priests to him. And finally, we are cleansed from our sins. Three things. First, a covenant relationship is formed between us and a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. Then we are ordained as priests to God. And finally, we are cleansed from our sin. Each of these is ours through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Can we just take a moment and thank God for Jesus Christ and his work on the cross on our behalf? Peter writes in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." And so in verses 1 and 2, we are chosen by God through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 4, we obtain an inheritance that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In verse 5, we are kept, protected by the power of God In verses 6 and 7, we may be grieved by various trials, but our faith through them will be strengthened that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, we have been given joy inexpressible and full of glory. In verse 9, we have the promise of the salvation of our souls. In verse 10, we have the promise of God's grace, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In verses 11 and 12, we have the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In verse 13 of our text, therefore, therefore, and a word, this is a word of transition. It takes us from statement to application, from what God has done for us through Christ to our response to God. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. The main emphasis of verse 13 is to rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. Peter is saying live in hope, live in hope. He, he has the second coming of Christ in view here. Church, we owe it to God to live in hope. 
God who is so gracious to us, who saved us, who by grace was generous to us beyond description, he proved himself able to forgive our sins, providing the perfect sacrifice in Christ on the cross to redeem us and resurrected from the dead. He is worthy of our confident trust for the future. If he has been faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the present and he will be faithful in the future. Can someone say amen? What he has promised, he will do. Hope should characterize our life. A living hope. A hope for an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, which is reserved in heaven for us who are being kept, protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, the second coming of Christ. Let me ask you uh, an honest question. Do you do that? Are you living in hope? Do you live in view of the second coming of Christ, resting fully on the grace that is to come? Now here's how you do it. Number one, be ready. Peter writes, gird up the loins of your mind. In ancient times, people wore long flowing robes and would tuck some of the material under a belt while while they worked or were planning on walking a long distance or were involved in an athletic competition. Having their robes flying all over the place could hinder them and slow them down and could even be dangerous. Peter is saying, don't let anything hinder your mind as you rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's lots of winds and there's lots of doctrines that blow in and blow out winds of doctrines. Life tragedies. Don't let anything hinder your mind as you rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, the apostle Paul says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. In this world, what you believe will be attacked. What the Bible says will be attacked. What you believe, and I trust what you believe is what the Bible says, will be attacked. Walk with the truth of Scripture tucked under your belt. Work with the truth of Scripture tucked under your belt. Worship with the truth of Scripture tucked under your belt. To put it simply, mean business with God. Roll up your sleeves. Tie down the loose ends of your mind and make a decisive life commitment to live in the reality of the grace that is to come, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 Verses 36 through 44, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Do you live in the view of the second coming of Christ? Do you live in the hope of the second coming of Christ, resting fully on the grace that is to come? Peter says, This is how we do it. Be ready. Be ready. Gird up the loins of your mind. Walk with the truth of Scripture. Tucked under your belt. When you get up tomorrow morning and go to work, work with the truth of Scripture. Tucked under your belt. 24-7 as you worship, Worship is so much bigger than Sunday's gathering. Worship involves so much more than singing songs. Worship with the truth of Scripture tucked under your belt. Can I hear a big amen? Paul writes, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we are referred to as pilgrims. Other Bible translations use the word strangers, foreigners, aliens. Church, if you're a Christ follower, your citizenship is in heaven. Check your passport. This world is not your home. We live as strangers. This is not our culture. We live in this culture, but this is not our culture. The world is not our home. We are not comfortable here. This is why we live differently. I'll come back to that thought in just a a moment. Do you live in view of the second coming of Christ, resting fully on the grace that is to come? Peter says, this is how you do it. Be ready. And number two, be focused. Peter writes in verses 13 and 14, be sober. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. The Greek word for sober literally means not to get drunk. Peter is using it as a metaphor commanding all believers, all Christ followers, not to be intoxicated by the world, by the culture we live in, because this is not our culture. By the intoxicating influence all around. Be sober. You live in a world that doesn't believe what you now believe. 
Live a self-controlled and disciplined life with clarity of mind. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. Don't miss this as in your ignorance before you knew the truth, before you knew the way, before you knew Jesus. Peter is saying, since you have the Holy Spirit living in you, don't live a reckless, irresponsible, self-indulgent life that characterizes so much of the world, your former lust, the culture, the culture. We're told we have to live a life of relevancy. No. We're called to live a life. Truth. God's truth. Peter says... Live in holiness. Not in your former lusts, before your ignorance. Live in holiness. He writes, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. When you live in hope with your mind captive, fixed, resting fully on the grace that is to come, longing and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, it produces holiness. You will live in holiness. Holiness is the command of God because it is the character of God. You see, God cannot set a standard lower than his own holiness. Peter is quoting from Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. Verse 44 says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 45, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. I think most of us here would agree this morning, holiness is a difficult term to get a hold of. In our culture, both sin and holiness are almost never used anymore. These words, sin and holiness, are almost never used anymore. When was the last time you heard those words at the water fountain at work? It is perfectly right to think about holiness and to think about morality. Often that's where our mind goes. That's the first place that our mind goes. We almost always think about right living, moral living. And that is certainly right. It means that. It doesn't mean that alone. It means so much more. And I think we often fail to understand the so much more. And we focus on the morality, this list of do's and don'ts. 
impossible to keep. It means more than just morality. If you want to understand what holiness is, read the Old Testament book of Leviticus, homework assignment. Read the book of, how many have read the book of Leviticus? Read the book of Leviticus. I hope you come back next Sunday. (laughs) The book of Leviticus is not talking so much about holy people. It's talking about holy things. If you go to the book of Leviticus, there are all sorts of things that are called holy. Tables are called holy. Utensils are called holy. Pots are called holy. Right there you begin to see that holiness doesn't just mean morality because what's a moral table look like? What does an immoral table look like? It forces you to ask what holiness means, and the Hebrew word means to cut, to cut it off, set apart, separate. Right away, we can see why God says he's holy, because he's completely holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, set apart from all other beings, totally unique. There is no one else like him. We were singing that truth today. He is off our scales. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 declares, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. God's holiness is not an aspect of who he is or what he does. God's holiness is the essence, the very essence of who he is. If you were to ask, how is the holiness of God revealed? The only right answer would be, in everything he does. In everything he thinks. In everything he desires. In everything he speaks. Everything he does is completely, totally holy in every way. God is holy in every attribute and action. He is holy in justice. He is holy in love. He is holy in mercy. He is holy in power. He is holy in wisdom. He is holy in patience. He is holy in anger. He is holy in grace. He is holy in faithfulness. He is holy in compassion. I go back. He is holy in anger. You can be angry and sin not. Church, he is even holy in his holiness. What does it mean to have a holy table or a holy pot? It means that it is set apart for God's exclusive use. When Peter quotes Leviticus that the people should be holy, it means that this is going beyond morality. It's more than a list of moral do's and don'ts. What makes the table holy? What makes the pot holy? It belongs to God. 
What makes you holy? You belong to God. That's your definition of holiness. You belong to God. What is the definition of holiness? Let's say it together. You belong to God. Here's an illustration of what it means to be holy. You're reading a magazine, and I've done this many times, and as you're reading through it, there is one article with some information you can use. You want to use it in a future sales pitch. Maybe you're a student, and you want to use it in a, in a school paper you're writing. You want to use it in a sermon illustration. I've done it many times. The only way to cut it out of the magazine is with scissors. Very practical. The only way to use it is to set it apart. You have to cut it out of the magazine. Why? I have a file in my office with such clippings. Oh, great future sermon illustration. If you don't cut it out, if you don't set it apart, you can't use it. To cut something out, to set it apart for your use is exactly what the Bible means when it talks about being holy. The Israelites were a holy people because God set them apart for his use and glory. The church, the New Testament church, pinch yourself, pinch your neighbor, that's you. The New Testament church is a holy people because God set you apart for his use and glory. You are a chosen generation, the Bible says, set apart. A royal priesthood, set apart. A holy nation, set apart. His own special people, set apart for his use. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, glorious light. For his use and his glory alone. The core of holiness is intensely personal. iPad Medeiros have been cut out. iPad Medeiros have been set apart for God's use in glory alone. I belong to God. Pat Medeiros belongs to God. I have been cut out, set apart. Wow. Wow. What's the opposite of belonging to God? To belong to yourself. Do you know you can be moral and not belong to God? Holiness is so much more than morality. You can be a moral person and not belong to God. 1 Corinthians The Apostle Paul, he pens in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Holiness means no longer living for yourself. 
no longer belonging to yourself. You now belong to God and live for God, for his use, his sacred use, his glory, his glory alone, not yours. To be holy is to live for God and for your neighbor. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To be holy is to be holy his, W-H-O-L-L-Y. To be holy is to be holy his, cut out, set apart. Today, In our churches, there is a silence on separation from the world. The scriptures are not silent. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Verse 15 says, In what accord harmony has Christ with devils? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The Lord says in verse 17, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Church, Every Christ follower who's a part of the true church, the church that Jesus is building, you have been cut out. You have been separated, set apart from the world. For God's use, And for God's glory alone. The Lord says in verse 17, Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. As I shared earlier, if you're a Christ follower, your citizenship is is in heaven. This is not our culture. We're of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, so much better than the kingdom of this world. This world is not our home. We're not comfortable here. The word says to be holy. The word of God says to be holy. The word says to be holy. The world says no. Live for yourself. Do what is right in your own sight. There are people in the church, the body of Christ. They believe what the world believes. Live for yourself. Do what is right in your own sight. No, I don't, Pastor. Well, your life sure says it does. We are living in an unholy world. 
It doesn't take great spiritual perception to see that the world around us is unholy. It doesn't belong to God. That's what it means. It doesn't belong to God. God desires that none would perish. He wants everyone in the world to belong to him. And he's commissioned us to live as salt and light. Workers, the great commission. No one else's job description is the true church, the church that Jesus is building. He hasn't given that job description to anyone else. He hasn't commissioned any other group. It belongs to, to those who truly follow Christ. This is why the true church stands out. It is holy. It belongs to God. Don't apologize. It is cut out. It is set apart. Don't apologize. This is God's doing. He did this. The true church is uniquely different than the rest of the world. The the truth is, life as a true follower of Jesus Christ will be difficult. Don't listen to those TV preachers that promise you pie in the sky. You only end up with pie in your face. The word says the practice of homosexuality is sin. The world says the church is homophobic. The word says God created man, male and female, Genesis 1.27. The world says whatever your gender preference is. Just breaks your heart, the deception, the lostness. Jesus loves these people. Jesus died for these people who were deceived. There's a transformation happening. There's a moral collapse like never before happening. And the church is buying into it. We can't say that. That's offensive. I'm not going to be liked. Holiness is being set apart for God's sacred use and for his glory alone. The definition of holiness is you belong to God. It's not about you. How will these people know the truth if we hide the truth, if we're afraid of the truth? Offending somebody. 
How about we just trust fully in the work of the Holy Spirit when God's truth is shared lovingly, graciously, kindly? If God wanted to use other words, he could have inspired men to write other words in the Hebrew language, in the Greek language. God is perfect in the way he inspired men to pen his holy word. God did not make any mistakes with the words that he used when he inspired men to address these sin issues, these moral issues that are before us today. Who are we to apologize on God's behalf? We are putting ourselves in the place of God. And that's a scary place to be. You ready to go home? The word says God formed us in our mother's womb. The world says it's just a fetal tissue. Deception, deception, deception. The world's full of deception, full of lies. We have a young generation. They're being educated in in the public school system, and they're hearing these lies over and over and over and over and over again. Mom and dad, they're being told lie after lie after lie after lie. You can tell them it's a lie but it's more powerful when you live the truth before them. Life as a true follower of Jesus Christ will be difficult because we are different. Not weird. Different. We've been cut out, set apart. We belong to God. Peter writes in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Beloved, I beg you. I beg you. As sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, as homophobic, They may by your good works, which they observe. As they see you love the sinner. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter passionately urges the church to live set-apart lives, holy lives in spite of living in an unholy world. It sounds as though Peter is repeating what Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Holy lives make the gospel attractive. The devil wants you to think just the opposite. It's going to repel people. No, it compels people. We reach the world through holiness. Light is set apart from darkness. Holiness makes our faith in the gospel and God's word believable, not acting like the world. It doesn't make 
the gospel in God's word believable. Deception, 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 deception. In the church today, deception, deception, deception. We have to act and look like the world. Lie, 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 lie. Lie. God has called us to live holy lives. God is the standard. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We are to live as one who belongs wholly to the Lord in a world that constantly rejects him. This standard of holiness is established as the standard by which we are to live in this unholy world. Now left, Pat Medeiros left on, on his own. You and I left on our own, we cannot attain that standard. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians, provides them the key in Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The only way you can live a holy life is in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul exhorts the church to be filled with the Spirit continually. We need to come to the spot where the glory comes out. Spiritual disciplines. Devotion. That quiet time with Jesus at his feet. To be refilled and refilled and refilled and refilled. You know when you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you desire to worship God 24-7. You know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you desire to obey God, when you desire to please God, when you desire to honor God, when you desire to serve God, when you desire to glorify God. You know when you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you love the gospel Love sharing the gospel. Love seeing people saved by the gospel. You know when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. When you desire to serve others. Those are the impulses that indicates the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You know when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you live in hope and live in holiness. Can someone say amen? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall know, but you shall receive power. Dunamis is the Greek word. Heaven's power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's not only power to proclaim the gospel. It's power against the normal impulses of your fallen flesh. Of my fallen flesh. You have been cut out. You have been set apart by God for his use. You belong to God. Pat Medeiros belongs to God. 2 Peter 3.11 says you ought to live holy and godly lives. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. The world will not care about my testimony with my lips unless there is also a testimony in my daily life of truth, holiness, and everything that is honest, lovely, pure, and of a good report. 
church, there is no argument that will stand against a holy life. Please hear this. The true church is not a growing number of people. The true church is not a growing number of people, but a number of people growing in holiness. There's a big difference. Don't be deceived. Without the holiness of God, sin has no meaning and grace has no point. If you and I are not at odds with sin, we're not at home with Jesus. I close with Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him, can we read this? Can we stand together? Can we read this together? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Can we read it one more time? Now to him, oh let's sing it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Oh, let's praise him, church. He's worthy. Amen. The definition of holiness. You belong to God. Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you belong to God. You can leave knowing that you belong to God. And as the worship team leads us in this worship chorus, I invite you to come to the front and one of the pastors here would be more than happy to talk with you, to pray with you. And maybe you're here today and you just want to get out of the, the role that you've been sitting in and just come to the front here and, 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 and spend some time, personal time with God. Maybe there's some things that you just want to lay at his feet. You can lay it right there where you're standing, where you're sitting, or you can come here and do the same.